Moncrief on News Talk. Someone else says, any chance your expert can tell me how to actually sit down and write a book and not say, ah, forget it after a day of two? Well, and no doubt uh, she, she will have an answer to that question. It is time for how to when we address the sorts of decisions we don't take every day. And today it is how to publish a book. We're joined by Deirdre Nolan, publishing director of Aru, an imprint of Bonnier Books. Good afternoon, Deirdre. Good afternoon, Sean. Thanks so much for having me. So you, uh, what's an imprint? An imprint is a division within a publishing house. So, for example, in Bonnier Books, we would have lots of different imprints. Um, mine is the Dublin-based imprint. So my remit is to publish books by Irish authors or that are about Ireland, that have some sort of connection to Ireland that will do well both here within within the Irish market, but also that could be brought uh, to to readers around the world. Right. Bonnier is a worldwide company. Okay, so, so and imprint means just a bit when you look on the spine, what kind exactly. of books it is. But sometimes you can see different ones and it's all the same company, actually. Exactly. Yeah. That's it, exactly. Yeah. For example, in Bonnier, we have um, we have many different imprints. So you would have Heligo, which is the, the business books imprint. You would have Ithaca, which is very kind of literary nonfiction, very um, kind of upmarket nonfiction. Um, you'd have Zaffir and Manila, which are both fiction imprints. There's so many yeah. different places and the the idea behind an imprint is that an imprint can tell a bookseller or a reader almost immediately what kind of book that is going to be. Mm. So for example with Eru anybody who sees that imprint is going to know that it's got a connection to Ireland straight away. Yeah okay so it's yeah it's as simple as that. So um, for that person who texted in to say, they, they actually sit down and, and say ah forget it after a day of two um, <laughs> And this is, I suppose, this is for people who've never written a book before or maybe don't write professionally or anything of that sort. Is this sitting in your lonely garage doing it? Is that the best way to do it or or what? Um, I think that writing can be quite a lonely profession. There is an awful lot of sitting around on your laptop and just having to put your head down and write. And Mm. um, it's also very important to remember that writing um, isn't just a creative exercise. It's quite a craft as well. I mean, there will be plenty of times when you're writing and you will not feel inspired Mm. and you won't feel like the muse is talking to you, but you just have to keep at it. And sometimes the writing that we produce on days when you're not inspired, is just as good as the writing that you produce when you are. Um, It's a lot of it is just about dedication. And I totally understand that uh, that listener who is saying that it's very difficult to just sit down um, and write and one of the things that they might consider uh, would be maybe joining a local writing group or doing a creative writing course, because I think that because writing must be done in isolation by its nature, you know, you're there with your notepad or you're there with your laptop. It can be really useful to have a kind of a tribe around you that could help you, whether that's through people that you might meet in your local library or maybe an adult education centre. Um, I know that there's some fantastic um, online writing groups or the Irish Writer Centre, for example, run courses all the time. And actually, most of the universities at this stage would have some sort of creative writing element in their mm-hmm. in their courses also. Um Maynooth, UL, Trinity, UCD, Galway. So there, there's a lot of options for you if you want to uh, become a writer and if you think that it's important for you to have that kind of, um, that kind of support around you. Yeah. So you're not feeling like you're now, in the lonely garret. <laughs> with, with my uh, cynical hat on, th- there's a difference from being taught on, on a writer's course from somebody who, uh, you know, has some expertise in this area and maybe sitting in a room who are equally as uneducated as you are about this and maybe, you know, you're not helping each other at all. That's true. That is true. Though I suppose what you could do would be to have both 
perhaps a group of friends that you could talk to about it <laughs> and do your creative writing course. Or if, if you, um, creative writing courses can be expensive. So another yes. option would be to, to get a good book on the subject. For example, On Writing by Stephen King is an excellent an excellent resource for writers. Um, Bird by Bird by Anne Lamont is another one that I found really useful in the past. But if you go into any bookshop, there's going to be a section there with creative writing um, yeah. books and it'd be well worth picking up one of those. Mm. Um, it's also quite important to have a structure to your day when you're trying to write because it is it can be very, very difficult to find the time to write. Most of us have other jobs or family or commitments that we, we need to... Um, to work around. So perhaps something in the morning, perhaps getting up earlier, perhaps working a little bit later. All these things can help. Yeah. Now your starting point, and I suppose there are a lot of people, you know, every now and again we're contacted by somebody who says, I have a great story. And Mm -hmm. well, then write down the feckin' story then, will you? Why don't you? But when you start, when you're looking at a blank piece of paper or a blank screen, should you have a structure first before you start writing? Or, you know, rather than this idea that, you know, the story will, you know, take you along? You know, that's that kind of depends on the author. Different authors have different approaches. Um, some authors like to plot absolutely everything that they're going to do. Mm. And like, you know, they're, they would have little post-its all over the place. And yeah. this is the direct line from that plot point to the next plot point. Um and then others just like to start writing, see what character walks into their heads and see where that character brings them. Yeah. So it totally depends on the writer. Yeah. I don't know if it's I always... It's not a great answer. I, I know. That's not a, like when I, I've read many authors who say that, that, you know, it was like automatic writing. I, yeah. I don't always believe it, uh, <laughs> really, because you just have an unstructured mess, if that I, was... I think that your first draft can come almost as automatic writing, you know, where you're playing around with your characters and you're seeing what kind of scenarios you can get them into and where mm. you can where you can develop them. But I think for your proper edited draft, you really have to pull back on that and make sure that you've got your structure right. Because yes. uh, otherwise you just end up with, like you said, an unstructured mess. Yes. And so, the, the, and to say this is, is, somebody wants to know, is every day a good idea if a publisher can help flesh it out? Now, and I suppose that's, when when you've completed a manuscript, how much work will the publisher put into that? You know, will they, you know, spend, will somebody come and live with you for a month and help you? You know, like you sometimes see in movies. And, and um, yeah. that. No, I think that just happens in movies, I'm afraid, Sean. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I've yet to move in with somebody for a month. I'm not, I'm not doing the living with Lucy just yet. Um, no, uh, sorry. What happens once the manuscript is accepted uh, by the publishing house is that it goes through um, your commissioning editor who will usually do a structural edit. That's where they look at the whole book and they'll say, OK, maybe this chapter needs to be moved to here or this character isn't quite working. Could we call that character, please? Or you need more dialogue. There'll be kind of the big issues that that's that's mm. what the the um, the commissioning editor or structural editor that can be called will be looking at. And then once those issues are sorted out, then you go to copy editor who looks at all of the grammar, spelling mistakes, um, the layout of the book and then we look at the we get it designed up and then we have the proof read of the book and the proofs are what the printed pages actually look like they're just pr- printed on normal um normal computer paper um but that's how we know exactly what the book's going to look like and that's where you're looking for um for things like how, you know does it does it look okay on a very basic level you know to make sure that all the chapters open in the right way and things mm. like that yeah and you don't have um, widows and, exactly. and the paragraphs and yeah. all that kind of stuff and, yeah. and like I've read I've, re- I've I've read books 
and I only noticed it because like it's happened to me that, that like the, the the spelling of a character's name could change between character and you know a yes. copy editor will, will, will catch yes. that but I've, seen, I've read books where it wasn't caught and somebody has you know unfortunately tried. that does happen <laughs> I always try to when that does happen <laughs> which thankfully has been relatively rare um, I always try to uh, remind authors that really um, books are kind of like a Persian carpet there's often a little flaw, but it just makes them more precious. <laughs> yes, okay, that's sweetly put. Anyway, somewhere, I suppose just to go back from before a publisher has taken it, mm-hmm. once you have a completed manuscript, and if you're reasonably happy with it, mm-hmm. should you go to an agent? Is it better to go to an agent? I think it depends on what the nature of the manuscript is. If it is a book of, for example, nonfiction about something to do with Ireland, maybe, um, I don't think that you necessarily need an agent just simply because there there's a limited market in Ireland. There's only about four or five publishers who would probably be able to take it on um, and you could just approach them yourself. It's not a huge job. Mm, yeah. If you have a novel that no matter where it's set, it could be set in the West Coast of Ireland or it could be set in Australia, but a novel always has international potential. And for for a book like that, I do believe that it's more important to go to an agent if you can, uh, because an agent will have international connections as well. So they won't just be selling your book here in Ireland and the UK. They'll also be selling it in France, in Australia and the United States. Um, they might have links with um, uh, with film companies. So it just gives you a lot more opportunity if you, if you have an agent for, mm. for fiction. Are there many agents in Ireland? Um, there are some really, really wonderful agents in Ireland. Um, Brian Langan uh, of Storyline is excellent. Marianne Gunn O'Connor is, is one of our top agents. Faith O'Grady at Lisa Richards. Uh, Ger Nichols runs a book bureau. And then Jonathan Williams was the first agent set up in Ireland. Mm. And uh, he's also wonderful. So I have to say, the agents that I've worked with in Ireland have all been absolutely top-notch. Yeah. Now, th- th- that process, even from the point when you finished, and it may have taken you a year or 10 years to write, to write your manuscript, when you then say, OK, I'm going to, and we'll say it's a novel for the sake of argument, and you send it off to an agent, that takes a while as well before the agent oh, comes back to you. It does, yes. No, submissions can take uh, a shamefully long time. And I know I, I myself, am <clears throat> embarrassingly dreadful at replying to submissions just they it's I suppose the problem for publishers with submissions is that there's always something very urgent to be done on a book that's about to be published yeah and that's what you have to prioritize so submissions um while obviously they're important we can't (laughs) publish anything in the future without getting fresh submissions in uh we still need to um we need to prioritize whatever is actually in our in our remit for that year first. So submissions tend to take a little while to, to uh, be gotten uh, to be gotten back to. Yeah, because to it takes a long it takes a long and because you know every publisher would have a massive and agents would have a massive pile of books in their yes. office and it takes a while to read a book. Absolutely. And it takes a while to read a book and Sometimes if an, if an agent or an author is ta- or a, a publisher rather is taking a while to get back to you, it's because they're taking such care with your book and they might be asking other people to read it as well to get a second opinion. They might be bringing it to an acquisitions meeting, which is a meeting that you'd have in-house with um, other, um, excuse me, with other editors to say, do you think this one is, is worth us bringing forward and publishing? Mm-hmm. Because publishing is a very expensive business. So there has to be a lot of, um, a lot of belief in the book before you can you can bring it out into the market. And also, it's not science 
So not you, at all. No, so, so you can't have kind of four people in, 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 you might have four people in an office in a publishing house and three of them go, I think this book's excellent. One says, no, I think it's garbage. Yes. And, and and it's not clear who's right there at that point. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we've all heard the stories about people who've been rejected 10 times and then have a, mm. you know, multi-million selling copy of a book. Um, it just happens. And the, the publishing is so subjective. You know, it's all about... Um, it's all about the taste of the editor or the taste of the readers who have who've been charged with assessing the manuscript mm. and if it's not to their taste then it might not your book might not be published at that publishing house but that doesn't mean that it doesn't have merit it could just not be right for that house and maybe you need to bring it somewhere else yeah. but actually that's another reason to go with an agent because an agent tends to know the tastes of the editors at each publishing house so they'll know where to bring it. Mm. Is there is there a bit of fashion in 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 particularly yes. in fiction publishing? Yes, absolutely there is, yeah. Um I mean even if you look at the like at the moment um female written crime dramas are doing very well. Mm. You know, so that's definitely a trend that we're seeing that you can see that the young Irish writers at the moment are just doing phenomenal Gangbusters, yeah. producing phenomenal work. You know, it's just really wonderful to see. So yeah, at the moment, thankfully, everything is in Ireland's favour yes. <laughs> and Irish writers' favour. Um, yeah, but there was a there was a yeah. period there a few years ago where nearly every book I saw in in yeah bookshop was the girl in the something. That's you know? right, the girl in the window, the girl on the train, the girl doing whatever she's doing, or even you know like like a few years ago it was all Scandi Noir, you know. Yeah. So it's there, there are definitely trends that people are following. And uh, okay, a few mm-hmm. uh, a few questions for you. Does uh, does your guest recommend contributory contributory publishing deals? I don't know what that is. I'm not too sure either to be her flowers. I think it might mean self-publishing almost, which is where you would um you would contribute towards the cost of the publication ah. and I would say no. Yeah. is what I would say. I would say if you can be it, it, that Self-publishing will work if your book has perhaps a limited appeal. For example, if you're writing your memoirs and you want it to be there for your family or you want it to be in there for maybe, maybe it might be local history um, where there could be a few hundred people in the, the town that you live in uh, who are going to buy it, then that's absolutely fine to self-publish. But if your book has greater potential or the potential of a greater mm. readership, I should say, um, then I would not go down the contributory publishing route. Um, I think that that would be damaging to it and it, you'd be far better off getting an agent and bringing it to a an established publishing house. Uh, I have kids and a lot of commitments, but over the last few years, I've written a travel book based on my personal trips, many of which go back a good few years. How would I go about getting someone to look at it and see if it's garbage and a waste of my time or whether it's worth pursuing? Well, well done, first of all, for, for producing the book. Um because that can be really difficult, particularly with, you know, children and other commitments. I would say that your best bet would be to bring it to a local writing group, see what they think of it. Um, if you also have a look at um, that, you can there can be um, um, editors online who will mm. so, who will assess your manuscript and give you good feedback on it. Perhaps a local bookseller might be able to give you a bit of feedback on it because they would know the market very well. Um so there are a number of ways you could do it. One thing I would say not to do is don't give it to your mum or your best friend because they will have, the, the, you know, they'll be as nice as they could be, but that you need somebody to be very honest with you. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> and somebody but, who knows the market. Yeah, but an interesting point, though, say about the market, because, you know, there are lots of travel books. So yes. if, if you're coming with a travel book, 
it somehow has to stand out from all the other travel books. Exactly. It can't be what I did in my holidays. Yeah. It has to have something more exciting. In it. Perhaps maybe a series of funny anecdotes. Or I mean, there's so many wonderful uh, travel books. You know, I'm thinking about, um, you know, is it Driving Over Lemons? Mm, yeah. <laughs> or, uh, you know, Under the Tuscan Sun or, you know, the, like you can do really great travel books, but it just does have to stand out from the crowd. And the, the writing would probably have to be of a kind of a, a stronger, a little bit of a higher part than you might get away with in other, in other yes. genres. Yeah. Uh, what does your guest make of sensitivity readers? I think that they're a wonderful addition to the industry. I think they're a very important addition to the industry because all of us have unconscious biases. Um, and there's, there's no point in me pretending that I can understand what somebody who hasn't, sorry, who's lived experience I haven't lived. <laughs> um, I can't always understand what they're going to uh, take from a book. So I think it's very important to have a sensitivity reader involved. Um, if there's uh, if there's an aspect of a book that uh, just might be, might be challenging for some people. Yes. Um, do they use them in Ireland now? Um... I I suppose it depends on the company. Yeah. I know that Bonnier would use them. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, right. Uh, the, uh, I'd, I'd say the answer to this is no, but you might be able to give Des a steer. Does your guest publish cartoon work? Uh, not a graphic novel, more of an anthology, asking is a 60-year-old with an unfulfilled ambition. Wow. Uh, cartoons. That 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 is, it's quite a niche, I'm afraid. Yeah. So no, I don't publish it myself, but I'm sure there must be places out there. What I would suggest to your friend, is it Derek? Des. Des, I'm yeah. sorry. What I would suggest to Des is to have a look in the bookshops and see who who's publishing comics. Yeah, um, there just are check out. Irish there publishers are, of comics. I'm pretty yes. sure of uh, graphic novels. There must anyway. be. And uh, what I would find out is who those are and approach them directly. Yeah. Uh, could you ask your guest, this is very specialised, the best way to proceed with a speech and language therapy manual for parents written, <laughs> approached about 10 publishers, but no luck yet. That's very specialised. That is very specialised. And again, what I would say is that you need a specialised publisher. Yeah. So yeah, I would I would check what speech and language books you already have, see who's publishing them. Might be Routledge, it might be um, it might be more academic publishers. Have a look and then approach them. Yeah. Now, if uh, I suppose we've been t- talking a lot about fiction, if it's a non-fiction book, yes, is it possible then to go to, without having written the book to go to a publisher yes. and say I have this story to tell? Absolutely, yes. That's a big difference, I suppose, between fiction and non-fiction when it comes to submitting. In fiction, you really should have the whole book written, and I would say the same for children's books also. Um, but in non-fiction, you can go with just a proposal where you'd have an outline of the of what the book would be, perhaps three or four chapters written up, and of course an author biography explaining why you were the authority in this area and why you should be the person to write this book. So. If you're trying to book on, for example, the golf courses of Ireland, I would want to know, have you been to every golf course in Ireland and why are you the best person to, mm. how do you know them better than anybody else? Or if you want to write a book about the history of inner city Cork, why have you got that special knowledge that makes you the perfect reader, sorry, writer? And I would also like to see samples of your writings. That's where the first two to three chapters would be very useful. And I would also have to see where you expect the book to go. So, um, if we're talking about a history of Cork, is it going to be from the last thousand years or is it just going to focus on the Victorian age? Or, you know, I'd, I'd need to know exactly what kind of arc the book is going in. 
Oh God, Deirdre. I'm going to get so many golf courses of Ireland submissions now after that. No, I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm all good for golf courses of Ireland. But, but, you know, I'm just trying now, to in, think of examples. In, in, the, in, in the happy event that, that, that uh, your book then is published. Now, you did say, you, get, you know, you can have an agent and there's international yes. rights and then, you know, yeah. you're, you know, gangbusters. But if, it, if, if it's published in Ireland, yes. you're not going to make a lot of money. Well, there are Irish authors out there who are able who to, do. Yeah, who there can, are, yeah, but they yeah. are, I certainly would not be giving up the day job. Mm. I certainly wouldn't. There are, um, there's some great bursaries now, actually, which are, you know, it's far better than 20 years ago when you really would be uh, quite tight when you're trying to write your book. But um, I, I know there are writing residence programmes, there's bursaries in the Arts Council. So there are more options available now, but even so, if you're depending on the royalties and the the advances from mm. a book um, in Ireland, they, I mean, there are so many different um, different types of book that would attract different royalties. But um, in general, it's not going to be huge. You're not going to be retired to the Bahamas. Yeah. So we're like going from a few grand to zero, possibly. Um, well, I would always try and get an advance if I was a, yeah. if I was an author. Yeah. I would be, you know, kind of concerned if you weren't actually getting an advance at all. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, it can range from a few thousand right up to, you know, if you're going to be a celebrity who's got a the biggest sports book of the year coming out or something, you know, that's going to be a whole other story. Yeah. And but, an advance means it's it's like money that they're paying you in advance against sales. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, out of the sale of every book, you get a royalty, mm. um, which is a proportion of the of the price of the book or of the monies received by the publisher. And that goes against your advance. So whatever they've paid out, it's almost like a loan. <laughs> you yes. know, and then yeah. you have to kind of pay it back out of what you what you sell. Yeah. And but if you don't sell that amount, yes, it, no. then you end up owning the money. No. I mean, I, I think technically, legally, uh, publishers can claim back, but in reality, they never do. The mm. only time that you would do it is if the book, if the person didn't actually produce the book that you wanted. Right. Yeah. Um, in which case that would be a kind of breach contract and then you can claim back your royalty. But yeah. I mean, that would be like, you know, if you were trying to book Sean and I said, please write a history of Newt Stock and you gave me a history of 2FM, I'd be like, this is not my book. Thank <laughs> you. I'll take my book. money back. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, and so if, uh, when your book is published then, there's, there's, correct me if I'm wrong, basically two times a year, early summer going into yes. summer holiday reading and on the run up to Christmas. That's right. W- w- pros and cons for each of them or are they largely sure. the same? Uh, well, the pros of coming out in spring is that it tends to be a slightly quieter time of year um, and that means that your book is more likely to rise up in the charts so that if your book is produced in kind of January, February, April, maybe even coming into May um, and your book sells maybe 3,000 copies, you could still get number one on that figure. Mm. Whereas coming into Christmas, I mean, even number 10 on the list might be selling 3,000 uh, copies a week. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, um, but it's a good time to make a splash. It's a particularly good time to, to launch debut authors. So you'll notice at the moment, like Nicola Flattery is just out um, because it's a really ideal time for her. And if I can mention one of my own books, yeah. uh, Charlene Hurtby's this fantastic debut novel, The Plight Act of Drowning, is coming out on the 6th of April. <laughs> um, sorry for the plug. But uh, th- again, it's a, just the perfect time to bring her out because she is a debut novelist and it's, it gives her lots of t- uh, opportunities to do publicity, um, 
and especially when, when bookshops are can be a little bit quieter, it means mm. they're much more receptive to a new idea. And of course, coming into summer reading, then that's when you get all the wonderful fiction. And then the blockbusters come to, tend to come out in September, October, November, usually like the start of November. Um, and they would be all there for the Christmas market. And they would, that's when you'd get like your big autobiographies and your Guinness Book of Records and your, your kind of annuals, like your Wimpy Kids, your... Um, your your um, like your Stephen King's the mm. all the big blockbusters come yeah. out around that time. Of yeah, year. actually, we didn't have ta- uh, time to uh, uh, talk about kids' books, but that's a fairly <laughs> rammed market as discussion. well. That's a whole yes. other discussion. Deirdre, yeah. thanks a million for coming into us. Oh, thanks so much uh, for having me, Sean. It's really wonderful. Uh, Deirdre Nolan, there, publishing director of Eru, an imprint of Bonnier Books. Moncrief weekdays at two p.m. on News Talk.